This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Dan Loney. Welcome back. Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We have uh, really seen numerous stories in the last decade about the problems that many former college students are having with paying back student loans. In some cases, it takes students a couple of decades to pay them back, and in the process, paying enough interest that could have them help them quite as significantly later on in life. And the idea of how to eradicate this problem is one that keeps getting tossed around with, unfortunately, not enough answers. Meet Zach Pelka and Connor Swafford, recent graduates here of the Wharton School, who now have a startup called Patronage, and it's spelled P-A-Y-T-R-O-N-A-G-E, which they hope will help ease some of the problems of millions of college students dealing with debt. And they are on campus today to give a presentation of what Patronage, they hope, very well can do. Gentlemen, nice meeting you. Thank you for coming in. Thank you very much, Dan. Thanks for having us. Thank you, and nice to have you back on campus. Uh, I guess let's delve into whoever would like to take this. The idea of doing a company like this, how did it first start? Yeah, sure. So this is Zach. Um, I can kind of talk about the origins. Basically, they founded here while at University of Pennsylvania. Um, While going to school here, we realized quickly that there is a huge problem around the country with student debt, which continues to grow year over year. Currently, there's about $1.5 trillion of outstanding student debt, which in the U.S. is greater than 85% of countries in the world's GDP, is our current outstanding student debt. So that's something that's been on the forefront of our minds. And I was actually working in venture capital out in San Francisco uh, two summers ago. And I was basically evaluating different investments in large-scale companies. So companies like Facebook, Netflix, Spotify, And throughout the basically diligence process of identifying if we wanted to invest or not, I quickly learned that the most important factor for venture capital investing was not really the company, but rather the founding team, which got me to thinking, why is there not an investment vehicle to invest in the founder rather than the company? Mm -hmm. Because so many entrepreneurs start one company, two companies that fail, but the third company takes off. Consequently, as well, you could think about Wharton alumnus Elon Musk. Would you rather have invested in Elon Musk himself or in Tesla or in SpaceX or in PayPal? It makes more sense to invest in the entrepreneur from an investing standpoint. So that was basically the foundation of patronage was the marrying of the two ideas. And so how, Connor, did you come involved in this? Sure, yeah. So Zach and I have known each other since uh, actually his freshman year, my sophomore year. Um, I was actually a, a TA in one of his classes, uh, so so we hit it off very well. Was he a good student? He, by the way, he, he's a he was an okay student. Okay. He's a better entrepreneur. <laughs> okay, all right. He's a better co-founder. Um, so so we actually have founded another company before this. Yeah. Um, we were doing some retail arbitrage um, after I had recently graduated, and we were still thinking of how do we take something on full time because we were doing this both as side time gigs. Um, and so when kind of he came to me with the idea of patronage and trying to help all of our peers and what we've seen the growing student loan problem, yeah, um, with a novel idea that's been around for the last five years or so, um, trying to scale it, 
then it was it was pretty exciting. So give us the, the the guts here of what patronage is and the idea behind it of how you're going to try and help students out with kind of eliminating this endless line of debt that they're dealing with. Yeah, sure. So basically, if you look at the current student loan market, there hasn't been disruption across any of the traditional players. You've had the common bonds, the lending clubs, the SoFi, who simply are competing on lowering the overall APR. So we thought about how could you really disrupt this market? So what we're trying to do is normalize a completely new investment vehicle known as an income share agreement, whereby students receive upfront capital in exchange for a set percentage of their future income for a fixed period of time. So you could really think of it like an equity investment into a student. Now, ISAs offer a number of protective measures that are significantly more flexible for students. So it has a fixed debt to income ratio, which is very different than a traditional loan. So if you think about like a loan payment, it's agnostic to whether or not you're an investment banker or if you're a teacher, which fundamentally is very impactful for like 80 to 90 percent of the people who aren't going to become an investment banker. Yeah. So what we have for different protective mechanisms is something called a minimum income threshold. So this is abiding by two different federal regulations that are both bipartisan in the House and in the Senate. And if a student is making less than one and a half times the poverty line, so approximately $20,000, basically it's their payable years would be extended. So if you have a seven-year contract, say, so you're going to be paying from age 22 to 29, mm-hmm. we could say 5% of your income just to give, throw out a number, and you want to go to grad school and you're 25 to 27. During those two years, you have absolutely no obligation to pay. There is no interest. There is no principal with an ISA. So those two years when you're not paying instead get tacked on to the end. So now you're paying age 22 to 25 and then age 27 to 31. Mm -hmm. And this flexibility basically enables you to go travel, pursue something like entrepreneurship that Connor and I wouldn't have been able to do if we had traditional debt payments. Or, for example, you like if your family fell ill. Like all of these different life scenarios that most people don't foresee, it provides protective measures in all of those cases with much more flexibility that enables people to take more risks and less traditional earning paths. So I'm guessing you hear a lot of these stories from your cohorts who went here to University of Pennsylvania of having this massive amount of debt and being hampered by whatever kind of life event actually kind of, you know, side, uh, you know, uh, railroads them and they're not able to to make the payments that they want. They find that they're well behind on on the payment process. And, and economically, it puts them not only in a hole in the present, mm-hmm. puts them in a hole for the next 10 years, 15 yeah. years or whatever exactly. it might be. Yeah. I mean, just to, to quote some numbers here for you guys, um, the average class of 2016 graduate my years was coming out with thirty seven thousand dollars of student loans. Um, studies have shown that 60% of Americans are paying loans into their 40s. Yeah. Um, so it's something that we've, we've seen. Even here at Penn, some of my colleagues and classmates took jobs in investment banking and the such to be able to pay off their loans. Um, and I've been approached by numerous bankers that say, yeah, I would have taken out an ISA if I knew I could have done that to take a more flexible career path. Now, the interesting thing you were telling me before that, in terms of when you think about the traditional loan, you're paying at whatever X amount interest rate on that loan. There is no interest being paid on these ISAs, correct? Yeah, so this this is correct. The interesting element about an ISA is the lender is taking a risk on the student that they may either pay back less or more than they were originally given. Right. So the idea with higher education is that it creates like skin in the game where if an institution is offering ISAs to their students, 
they then have a direct financial responsibility to help those students get jobs, which if you think about theoretically, it aligns the lender with the student, the recipient. So in traditional debt, if a student suffers financially or unable to make payments, interest accumulates, the lender makes more money. Conversely, in this scenario, as a student succeeds financially, so does the lender. So it completely changes the entire construct of like the lending game. But as you were saying beforehand, uh, Zach, uh, one of the things is that you are looking at the career path of that individual. It's not your so to a degree, there's not a a, a pass fail here. Depending on the career, it's just the level of success that that person will have depending on the income that they will be earning over the next decade or two. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Um, actually, what we're unveiling today is the platform, our calculator, the ability to go on and say, hey. What is your predicted income? It varies based on what university you go to, what school within the university, what major. Um, It even varies on when you're going to graduate. And so we actually have um, five PhD scientists that have been working on an underwriting algorithm, incorporating machine learning within it to try and predict based on our data sets. um, What is a student at the University of Washington, University of Pennsylvania, um, down in Texas? What is everyone going to to be making five years down the line and 10 years down the line, et cetera? 844 Wharton is the number if you would like to join in, jump in and ask a question uh, of our guests, uh, Zach Pelka and Connor Swafford. Uh, they are the uh, men behind the company Patronage trying to uh, tackle a lot of the problems surrounding the uh, the uh, issues of college loan debt. 844-942-7866. Or if you're not able to get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Now, Zach, you were saying something a second ago. I want to just clarify it. These would be ISAs that would be coming from your company, or you would be working with the, the schools themselves in providing the ISA? Sure. So with Patronage, what we're trying to do is actually create a centralized marketplace connecting different types of institutional lenders to students. Okay. So to kind of clarify this point, you could think about theoretically, there's a lot of different lenders who'd be interested in ISAs for different reasons. Yeah. So for example, University of Pennsylvania might want to have skin in the game providing ISAs to their students. They come on the patronage platform, set up an investment fund. We only are offering ISAs to Penn students. We want to target a 4% return, whatever it might be. Simultaneously, you could look to, say, the NAACP or like a foundation where the NAACP wants to provide subsidized ISAs to peoples of color, where it's going to be basically a cheaper financing option than anything outside of a scholarship. You could then look to a Goldman Sachs or a hedge fund that's interested in maybe a securitized product of a thousand uh, Ivy League students' future earnings. Like that asset class is very, very interesting. Yeah. And then also you could think about a recruiting standpoint. You could have Google come onto the platform, set up a fund, offer ISAs to all of the Stanford PhD computer scientists, offer them a heavily subsidized rate as a recruiting tactic in which if they go yeah. work at Google, it could be a forgiveness. And if not, they're now getting a future portion of income from the engineers at Amazon and Alibaba and Facebook and all their competitors. So at Patronage, we're basically creating this marketplace structure, which is the first marketplace structure in this space, where it's going to directly to the consumer. Yeah, and our, our goal is basically to allow one student to come on. Maybe they qualify for five different funds. Right. Um, each one's going to have a different cost associated. So Zach said, yeah, maybe Goldman wants a higher return, um, but Goldman's going to mentor you along the way and teach you the, the ways of finance. Right. Um, or you can take a, a cheaper subsidized option through the NAACP or some foundation. Our idea is, hey, student, 
you get to choose amongst the the options presented before you yeah um, and then finance your your education that way if, if just in laying this out this is has the opportunity it feels like to be transformative in terms of the idea of not only the loan issues but the scholarship programs that that obviously schools have and the relationship of companies in terms of recruitment of students or current employees who want to go back to school and would be able to be funded through an ISA that their company would be providing. Yeah, if you I mean if you think about these corporate programs that could hypothetically be set up um, you could have Google come on and wipe clean the ISA payment. They could cut the uh, ISA rate in half if you decided to go work for them. So there's a number of different ways that you can yeah. try and incentivize um, the different different students to take your ISA and help them with their, their loan payments. Yeah, and additionally, I think something that we envision in the long term is identifying different, more or less, like highly desirable ISAs that is competitive. So Imagine, for example, Warren Buffett comes on and is going to offer ISAs to 10 students across the country. These are students that he is heavily invested into their future success. He is then your mentor. Warren Buffett actually, on an aside, said to basically a bunch of students at a Columbia MBA speech saying, like, I would give you a million dollars for 10% of your future income right now or something along those lines. So he has actually expressed interest in this ISA concept before. So if you could have like a Teal Fellow or... Warren Buffett or Bill Gates come onto the platform, right. you could really create like a very competitive process of mentorship for students, which is very interesting on both sides. We are joined by uh, Zach Pelka and Connor Swafford. They are the gentlemen behind Patronage. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, and we'll bring it up on the show at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I'd be interested to get from both of you, why do you think the marketplace in, in terms of loans has stayed the way that it has? Is it just because it's it has been profitable over years for the companies that are behind it? Is is that the main reason why we haven't seen any kind of disruption whatsoever? Yeah. I, if you look at loans, the way that the loan originator and servicer are the most profitable is when students go into forbearance and default. So it's actually in their incentive to not help the student complete their loan payments because you're going to be able to generate more cash. Interest is going to accumulate. Sure, yeah. And then the loan is going to be extended longer and longer. Um, the ISA is is a new instrument that's been created. It's been tried in, in different iterations, um, but it's it's hard to create this op, uh, the correct income predictions that we're working on now. Um, so I think that's one of the major elements that is, is tough is, hey, what is this freshman going to do? Um, at Penn, it's about 85% of, of freshmen finish after after four years. So what's the likelihood that the student's going to go? Right. Um, it's different from a, from a debt obligation. Yeah, and I think another answer is just generally the cost of capital from the financial institutions, which has created a huge issue where you have investment banks and hedge funds and these companies that are basically offering loans and are like the main backers and originator of these loans – are targeting anywhere from a 12 to 15% internal rate of return uh-huh. on a secured asset. Roughly 90% of loans and student loans are co-signed by students, either parents or guardians. So that is a whole nother issue with student loans, where basically if a student defaults, then it falls on their parents, which can lead to much deeper economic issues where now maybe parents are going to start defaulting on their mortgages. And like if you have, yeah. a, if you have yeah. a bear cycle... Uh, this is going to be a huge, huge issue. And that's one of the value propositions we have with ISAs is students do not have to have a cosigner. 
our vehicle is fundamentally predicated on you alone, the student alone, yeah. and their predicted future. Has nothing to do with your background, has nothing to do with FICO score, has no cosigner required. So which, because of that, basically enables a lot of traditionally uh, like minority students and people from like lower incomes, which basically are systematically oppressed based on the student loan system, which is right. heavily based on like your family's income and yep. credit file. Yeah. 844-942-7866 is the number. If you would like to join in with a comment or question, we go to the phones. Uh, Matt is in San Francisco. Matt, go ahead. Hey, thanks for uh, having me on. Connor and Zach, I think this is a great idea. I actually had one question about uh, patronage. Uh, I think it's an awesome idea, you know, trying to fix the student loan problem. Are there any plans in your product roadmap to open this up to people outside of university? So you can imagine maybe when I'm 25, I could use an investment and a, a patron wants to invest in me as a person because they see uh, opportunity, you know, for me later on. Are, are you ever going to explore that? Yeah. Hey, thanks. Thanks for calling uh, and asking, Matt. Um, actually, that is that is definitely something that we want to explore down the line. The The general idea is that if the students, when they come on, want to receive guidance and mentorship from their patrons, the, the different investors that they may have, they're they're very much able to opt in and receive that guidance and mentorship. Um, we actually don't disclose your information to your investor um, up front. It's, it's only a, a up to the student to be able to to allow to release that and then our idea is that you'll be able to create some sort of relationship uh, bond community as zach said with teal fellows or, or warren buffett coming on and being your your guider um then you'll be able to to ga- engage uh with your community like that yeah and i think speaking to another portion of the question um we are definitely looking to extend as a next product um basically beyond just a focus on current students so if you look at the loan space the most profitable element of loans is basically the refinance business. That's what SoFi's made yeah. all their money in, Common Bond's making all their money in. So there's a huge amount of potential to refinance existing debt into ISAs, as well as just basically providing ISA as an alternative to a traditional loan. You could provide an ISA on a house or a car or anything like that, which no one currently is doing. Um, so that's a next step that we're definitely going to focus on, which for an investor also is interesting because with an ISA, if if you give a student money when they're in college, you're not getting income for, say, two or three years sure. while they're in yeah. school. Yeah. Whereas if I'm giving money to Connor right now to refinance his debt, I know that he's an investment banker right now. One, it's much easier to predict what his income track is because we know what he's doing. Yeah. But two, we're immediately getting payback from Quicker his income. Quicker turnaround. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Art is in Richmond, Virginia. Art, go ahead. Hey, um, hats off to you guys for thinking of this idea. I, I, I do think it'll be very disruptive and, and just wish you the best of luck. I think about a circumstance in, in our family where one of our children that, um, went to graduate school and is now doing residency. Uh, it makes it really tight with the current student loan structure, and I can just imagine how uh, this type of setup that you're describing will be just so much easier to manage and, and deal with. So uh, I just wish you the best of luck. I think it's a great idea. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And best of luck to them as well. I, I, I would imagine that you're already starting to hear these types of stories when you bring this idea forward. Obviously, you've talked to probably a lot of people within the business realm, business community here at the University of Pennsylvania. But but as this idea gets out, the reaction of families uh, of this potential idea, you know, that this 
a lot of families around the country, as we mentioned, with the amount of yeah. debt, they're they're feeling it's it's like a piano on their back Pressure's most days. There. Yeah, I mean it's it's truly incredible the impact of student loans on our generation and, and the generations above us. Seventy um, percent of students who are exiting college have student debt, and so we thought about it like how can we construct a vehicle that is more student friendly? Yeah. So we have had a number of surveys and test studies done throughout this campus at the University of Pennsylvania. And roughly 65% of students that we have talked to in a very short period of time have preferred our ISA to a student loan. So this coincides with a number of national studies that have been done by uh, think tanks like AEI, AIR, Parthenon Group. And all of them have had very similar results where over 50% of students who see an ISA prefer it to a student loan. The issue really has been visibility historically where of the students interviewed, only 5% had ever even heard of the concept. So it really is a rapidly developing, more student-friendly vehicle. It's just a matter of time. And we think that the two federal bills that are currently in the HEA Act would potentially really make these go mainstream. So how do you how do you get that higher rate of visibility? <laughs> Besides being on this great <laughs> radio show here today, uh, how do you get that, that higher visibility? I mean, obviously, part of it is w- what you're going to be doing here at the University yeah. of Pennsylvania today in terms of talking with students. Uh, and, well, I guess, give us the rundown of what you are going to be doing here today. Yeah, so so later today, um, we'll be announcing and unveiling uh, the marketplace and the, the ISAs within patronage. Um, we're going to be coming down at, at 630 here in Huntsman Hall uh, presenting to the student body, to administrators, um, local Philadelphia community that, that have decided to come in and, and, and venture capitalists. Um, so we're going to be speaking about Patriot, and then actually we have a number of guest speakers that are coming down to speak on a panel as well. Um, so Michael Termina, who co-founded yeah. Compenbond here at Wharton, um, close advisor of, of Zach and mine and of Patronage. He's coming in to speak. Uh, Michael Kulpeman, uh, who's part of Edison Partners Growth uh, uh, here in Philadelphia. Their general partner, he's coming to, to moderate the panel. Um, we have Frank FAFSA, which was founded here at Wharton as well. Yeah. TurboTax for, for doing your FAFSA application. Um, and then the CEO of Lumni USA, which is one of the largest uh, ISA providers down in South America that's just started operating up here in, in the U.S. So it's supposed to be a, it's going to be a great discussion, um, very educated for the students on ISAs and the administrative and um, general community. So ISAs have been something that have been used in other parts of the world. It's just it's taken a while for it to get here to the United States. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's exactly true. So the company Lumni, also a Wharton-founded company, uh, has been started in 2002 in South America They've had basically 50 different investment funds that were specifically offering ISAs to students basically impacted by different like social impacts. So you could think like people affected by famine or war and things like that was basically the way they've instructed their investment funds. And they've been seeing roughly 11 to 15 percent returns Mm -hmm. on their funds that have closed so far. So the asset itself has been proving very, very, I guess, risk adjusted has been like a great return. Yeah. Um, Two percent volatility has been doing very, very well. So it's like it's been normalized outside the U.S., currently in Australia. They have some different programs in Europe, um, but we're really trying to really start developing it in the U.S. So are you able to gain from from those uh, examples not just necessarily the financial return that is there, but the impact on the society themselves? Because you're talking about helping out with an education piece for a lot of people that maybe not necessarily would have had that opportunity. And then that means 
better job. It, it means better career. It means better lifestyle over the course of a period of time. Yeah, we've actually been welcomed in with very much open arms from the entire ISA community. Um, they've been very, very generous in supporting Zach and myself um, with founding patronage and, and giving us ideas on how to grow. Um, our goal is to create a platform where in the long run, having an ISA with patronage means you have more likely uh, more likely success rate getting a next job. Or if you were to, um, if another crisis happened, um, you'd be able to get on your feet that much easier. We can offer discount rates on maybe you need to go get a car payment or something like that. Yeah. Um, trying to create some sort of community network within patronage itself. What in, you mentioned about the 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 outside of the student loan space in getting into that at some point. What do you do? Do you have a time frame in mind uh, of doing that? I mean, obviously, you got to tackle the student loan <laughs> side of this first before you really move forward with the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's probably in like the five year plan. Um, we're tackling a one point five trillion dollar market at the moment, so <laughs> you've got that in your pocket pretty yeah, soon, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I do think that that's a very interesting next step to really start normalizing the vehicle itself in higher ed. Um, by basically extending out to homes, cars, et cetera. What yeah. you, go ahead. There, there, are, there are companies now that allow you to give a percentage of your, your home's future appreciation and equity uh, in exchange for upfront uh, money that yeah. you need to, to renovate. Yeah, like the home um, equity lines. Yeah, so, yeah. so they exist. Um, ISAs can be applied in a number of different potential vehicles. Uh, are you hearing reaction from the loan space? From the other companies that are in that area right now, because I mean, you talked about disruption. This this seemingly has the opportunity to to seriously disrupt their businesses. Yeah, so I mean, we actually have spoken with higher up people at at the common bonds, the SoFi's, and to be honest, people haven't been that interested in it. Um, I think that the overall marketplace lending space has seen a lot of kind of negative backlash yeah. with Prosper and Credible, and people basically having down rounds recently. And it's really been a focus on, like, how do they move into different refi products rather than ISAs. I mean, if you think about the traditional construct, it's literally debt versus equity. It's a very fundamental, different product itself. So we haven't seen that much interest in any of the big loan providers getting into the space. But that being said, we're confident once it starts developing, everyone's going to want a product with it. And our goal in five, ten years from now is for when students go to college, they look at what's my debt-to-equity ratio going to be? So we have yeah. companies, I mean, we studied it here at Wharton, we have companies that are thinking, okay, what's what's a healthy composition mix of where my capital is coming in from? So why can't a student say, I want to take 70% debt, 30% equity, and that'll make me that much more likely to follow this career path, or yeah. it'll make me that much more comfortable over the next five, 10 years. Um, if you're going to grad school, if you're going to get a residency and, and going to med school, maybe you need to take a little bit more equity or a little bit more debt. just depends on your risk profile. Yeah, I mean, if you think about fundamentally the vehicle of debt versus equity in the scenario, they're polar opposites. They're yeah. heads, hedges of each other. If you go out and make way more money than you expected in an ISA, you would be paying more, with, but in debt, you'd be able to basically pay it off quicker. Yeah. Conversely, if you are making less money than you anticipated, with an ISA, you're paying way less, and with debt, you can't pay it. So there is an optimal ratio for debt to equity for students yeah. based on what your risk profile is and basically what you anticipate your career to look like. Seemingly, this also, as just thinking about this, does this also, do you think, in your mind, also benefit the, the student moving forward into college with just the idea of what they want to study and where they want to study it and what university they want to study it? Because... I think a lot of students that are in a, a financial situation family-wise that maybe they can't think of 
you know, a University of Pennsylvania, Harvard, whatever the, the you know the the big name school might be, no. and would be going to a state school. This might change their mindset a little bit. Yeah. Um, when we surveyed and all the the nationwide surveys look at why does a student go to college, it's for the postgraduate degree. It's for what career path are they going to be going into? Right, right. It needs to be top of mind, but I don't think students, ourselves included, are always thinking about, hey, what is my salary actually going to be sure. when I graduate? How yeah. easy is it going to be for me to get a job? Our goal is for a student, eventually high schoolers coming on and they're deciding what, what school am I going to go to, they can come into our calculator and compare how do I look if I go to this school versus school A versus school B. And they'll be able to see how drastically different their ISA rate is over 10 years. And you'll be able to see, hey, that's actually going to have a negative impact and, on me. And is the timing now getting started right now important because of the fact that you're you're in the cycle right now where a lot of students thinking about college next year are in that, okay, I've got to get the financial end of, end of college squared away? Yeah, definitely. I think that we have kind of an education process where you can start talking to students while they're in high school yeah. and obviously moving into college. Yeah. Um, and I think kind of speaking to your previous question, what we want to do with patronage is basically create a place where students can come on board and see the effect of ROIs of whatever school they would be going to. Right. So you could compare, all right, the cost of education go to Wharton is 65K or whatever it might be. But in year one, I'm expected to make $110,000 if I'm going into finance. Over 10 years, my ROI is 300x. Yeah. You could then compare that to, well, I'm getting a good scholarship from Penn State, but realistically, you could also look at the ROI there. Yeah. You could basically have this across the board where students could put in like their federal like FAFSA offerings and financial aid from the schools and then basically see what makes the most financial sense. Yeah. And then you can do that not only across schools, but also across majors and across degrees. And I think that this is something that needs to be done because- Throughout the whole higher education space, financial space, there's a number of like these for-profit schools where there's a lot of concerns, both on the regulatory side and on higher sure. education, yeah. where it's like it's they're just diploma mills. Yeah. And it's, there's not actually any ROI, which is actually why ISAs have really started to become popular in the U.S. as well, is trade schools. So you have coding boot camps where you could go in for, say, six months, learn how to do artificial intelligence or machine learning. And then basically give away 2% of your income. So it's like a very impactful ROI for students in these scenarios is kind of where we envision this marketplace going. I wish you guys all the best with this. This is a fantastic uh, uh, plan that you've got put together. And we wish you all the best. And we'll we'll obviously stay in touch and see how this plays out in the next year or two. Thank you very much, guys. All the best. Thanks for having us. Uh, Again, the, uh, the uh, the company's name is Patronage. The website is patronage.co. Okay, so people can find out more there. And obviously, as this uh, plays out today and in the days to come, uh, you'll be able to find out more on that website. Zach Pelka, Connor Swafford joining us here in studio. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.